Do you like retro video games? Then you should check out the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. And if you like the show, then you can join the Discord by going to the at Nerd Cave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. If you like the Open Micros podcast but think Jay is too handsome, check out the Jester's Court podcast hosted by Jason's fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn, found wherever podcasts are given away for free. We also want to shout out our other patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond, Jen Evelyn, old Rob himself, Robbie Hennig, and I am the Rampage. Let's start the show. It is time for the Open Micers Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig. And why don't you tell everyone who our guest is tonight, Jason? This is a man that I met years and years ago at Pensacon. And we've had a a friendship for at least eight years now. And uh, we always, every time we see each other at Pensacon, we're like, man, we got to do some podcast stuff together. We got to do some YouTube stuff. And we never do it. And I don't know why, but here we are, finally, on the Open Micers Podcast with my friend, the pop culture nihilist himself, Mr. Jeremy Branch. Jason, Jacob, pleasure to have me here, guys. It's about yeah. freaking time. So um, you actually, I, I wanted to go ahead and dive into uh, your new YouTube channel that you just launched not too long ago. It's a, you're, a, you're, a, you're a synthwave uh, musician now and uh what what got you into the synth wave and tell everybody what the channel is too so it's called lucid memory i started it approximately four five weeks ago like it's it's a relatively new thing and you know as somebody who grew up really in the 90s i'm a certain age where i was a child up until the end of the 80s but i have these really specific and probably abstract and probably unrealistic ideas about what the 1980s was right what the how close in age are we i'm 45 now i'm i'm 40 as of okay. september 28th so, you're, so not, you're not far behind me no 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 and i figured if anybody would appreciate this stuff that you would probably be be into it i also know that you like myself you're a musician i think you play drums yes yeah, um, and also, I, nobody knows this about me, but I I love synthwave. Like it's it's all right. I, it's one of my favorite types of music just to chill out and listen to. Like I have various playlists that I I have saved on my YouTube, um, on my Spotify, and I just like to chill out listening to synthwave because I am a fan of John Carpenter, and I I don't know the beginnings of synthwave, but. To me, John Carpenter is the godfather of synthwave. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, Jason. You know what's funny about synthwave is what a lot of people say is that, and I say a lot of people, what Wikipedia says <laughs> is that uh, synthwave was popularized by Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Uh... There really? was have you you you've played Vice City, you know that game, right? Yeah, I have. I I mean I don't remember listening to Synthwave in that game though. I I mean I imagine it was one of the radio stations you could listen to. It was. It was. And it would, you know, it had the 
the Miami 1980s aesthetic to it, the palm yeah. trees, the like all of the aesthetic aspect of synthwave, which is actually a pretty significant part of the music genre. Like, I know that like leather studded jackets, they're like synonymous with punk rock or mm-hmm. 80s hair metal, right? You got to have the fucking big crazy hair. Uh, like every different subgenre of music has a, uh, has an aesthetic attached to it, but like another, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, another thing that they refer to Synthwave as is Outrun, which dates back to the 1986 arcade racing mm-hmm. game. And so how did the the weird kind of like sunset through the, you know, the cityscape, like how did that visual become part of Synthwave? Like, because yeah, I right? actually use that like I was when I was making backgrounds for when I do game streaming on Twitch, one of the backgrounds I use is I just typed in synthwave background and it was one of the first ones that popped up and I made a background out of it. And it's like it's like a purple, like you're driving through the desert, there's mountains in the background, and there's like this, you know, orangish grid purple. on the bottom. Yeah, there's a grid and there's a <laughs> grid. Like it's just yeah. that like that you see that and you instantly think like you know the music that fits with that. So as a 45-year-old, help me out, Jason. Like, you nailed it. John Carpenter, right mm-hmm. on. Was there actually synthwave music in the 1980s? Like, who, where what? does this 80s sound come from? <laughs> well, you go back and listen to his soundtracks. I mean, even back to the original Halloween <clears throat> with his use of synthesizers. Because they started having, like, the Moog synthesizers and... Um, what was the one big synthesizer they used in the eighties that they used for everything? Um, uh, I don't know. I, I just saw a YouTube video about it not too long ago, where um, all these like those eighties sounds, like drum sounds, and, and you know, was the, it a Roland? It was a Roland, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember what model it was, but it was very um, like a lot of musicians, pian- uh, pianists, and stuff could manipulate it. <laughs> <laughs> could manipulate like they they could like work with the within the electronics of it, like the MIDI system and create new sounds and they were constantly creating new sounds from this synthesizer and it's still used to this day by people who are really uh you know synthwave musicians and stuff but um and I forgot where I was going with that carpenter <laughs> carpenter but yeah carpenter you- <laughs> vangelis Vangelis, yeah, like, yeah, you go back and listen to the Blade Runner soundtrack, like, all that stuff, it's, it doesn't quite sound exactly what synth- Synthwave is today, but that is the beginning of it. Because, like, the four on the floor is the quintessential drum beat for synthesizer, everything mm-hmm. is boom, tap, boom, tap, and that wasn't a thing in these scores in particular that we're talking about, but I do really feel like that was, uh, some of the inception of it. Jacob, how, how is any of this stuff hitting you, man? Do you have any uh, like experience <laughs> with Synthwave? No, no, none, <laughs> none at all. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what a synthesizer is, to be honest with you. It's a keyboard with some wires. Well, when oh, I think so of... it's a keyboard. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> Here's something you might know, Jacob. Like when I think of okay. synthwave, like one of the songs that instantly comes to mind is uh, Jake the Snake Roberts' 
uh, theme music that he comes out to. It's called Snake nice. Bit. That song Hell just yeah. says synthwave to me. I fuck with Jake the Snake. That's what I, I nicknamed my wiener. <laughs> that actually checks out. That was my I just checks out. That was my grandpa's uh, nickname for me when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me and your wiener Weird. had the same nickname. Awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> You right. kind of look like my wiener. Yeah. Anyways, um, have you guys heard the song The Night Begins to Shine from Teen Titans Go? That's Synthwave, dude. That's fuck. Hell yeah, dude. I fucked <laughs> that hard. It's a good I, song. I have like every version on my Spotify playlist from like CeeLo Green to Fall Out Boy. What? Yeah, dude. Because they did a crossover where they were like, Ah, oh, we're gonna bring CeeLo Green and Fallout Boy and people into this universe, and then they did cover songs of "The Night Begins to Shine." Was that on "The dope. Night Began to Shine" too? Didn't that just like come out yeah. a couple months back? That was like a year ago now, dude. Oh. You, you need to catch up on some Teen Titans Go. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. It's it's been post that. Yeah, it's on Spotify right now. I gotta like, check you just this search out. "The Night Begins to Shine." CeeLo Green's version is dope. I bet it is. I bet it is. Uh, I I feel like the music video on the I I don't, I don't remember the Teen Titans uh, or the Night Begins to Shine too very well, but that whole thing like riding a chrome fucking yeah. unicorn and the rainbows and the grids like that's all quintessential that sound and um yeah I, hopefully though we're gonna talk a little bit about movie scores because I actually and this is very unusual for me. I took a minute and did some pre-production shit. So just know I don't do that for my own shit. So you're welcome. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. I, I did want to ask you about movie scores though, especially horror movie scores. Cause I feel like a score in a horror movie is like the most important score you can have. Like music and comedies don't matter. Like it's just it's like building point. that suspense. Of like you can't you can't get murdered in silence, you know? <laughs> you can. A lot of people do. But... Most people get murdered in silence. Really? <laughs> you think? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I if don't know. I was murdering somebody, I would have to turn the faucet on first. Yeah, I'm like that when I eat. <laughs> yeah. <don't> I <laughs> like I I have to watch Gilmore Girls or it's mm. not gonna happen for me. Uh, climaxing yeah climaxing oh. murdering eating whatever dude gilmore girls is like a rolodex <laughs> of all three good good Just yeah keeps me calm i i i See, agree i, I would want to push back i would watch the gilmore girls if it had a synth wave uh soundtrack to it mm-hmm. um it would make it better. john williams has done so much heavy lifting for not only spielberg but spielberg i think would be a great uh, director if he didn't but george lucas owes a fucking pretty substantial <laughs> amount of his directorial efforts to the music of john williams that said you make a great point like suspense and tension is a lot of times built by the the sonic shit going on the swells mm -hmm. that are coming up as the person's walking down the hallway so like scoring in horror movies i think is like more important than in other genres. And there are scores that they really don't leave like a huge impression that are super effective. On the flip side of that, 
there's the really iconic themes from from movies that like you listen to out of context of the movies themselves you know like jason mentioned uh the halloween theme that's like people that have never seen a halloween movie know the halloween theme or like uh psycho you know the eh, 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 eh. <laughs> yeah people have never seen that flick but they they recognize that right off the bat so it's kind of interesting like there are certain things that even supersede the the subgenre that they're in and end up becoming like a like a cultural touchstone almost tubular bells from uh the exorcist mm-hmm. super popular piece of music you know oh which was around wasn't that around long before uh the exorcist or was that made for the exorcist you know i i want to say and this is not something that I have in front of me. I probably should pull it up before I talk out of turn. But I feel like Tubular Bells was written for The Exorcist. Okay, because I, I have the, the, the vinyl of Tubular Bells. And it's not attached to The Exorcist. No, it's just, it just says Tubular Bells. It has no, the, there's no mention of The Exorcist. Uh, yeah, on the you're right. See, you, that's what I get. You, you know that uh, Katie Loggins wrote Footloose for the movie Footloose? <laughs> Yeah, but that's the power of that movie too, The Exorcist, because when you hear Tubular Bells, you instant like instantly connect it with that movie. So that that would be why, you know, people would think that it was made for that movie because it fits yeah. it so perfectly. And that was the power, you know, we're talking about um John Carpenter is because, you know, being the the director, the editor, the writer, most of the times he was also the the composer for all of his movies. And he created that that soundscape for each of his films. Like you go back and and listen like to the synthwave type stuff that he did with the synthesizers and keyboards. But he also had like he wanted to be a rock star. Like yeah. he had bands. Yeah. Like he played bass, I think, in bands. And you know, like you go and you listen to like Big Trouble in Little China and uh, In the Mouth of Madness and like those rock songs that are the theme songs in a movie. Like that that's his band doing that. yeah yeah he's definitely an exception though i feel like i feel like there are certain composers like him and john williams and then like danny elfman was so protective of his score for the nightmare before christmas that he himself is the singing voice of jack skellington <laughs> like not i feel like there are a lot of like your average movie composer like isn't gonna do that shit yeah that's actually probably a fair point and uh Talking about John Carpenter wanting to be a rock star, Danny Elfman actually owns that, uh, yeah, <laughs> that that honored title because he is the lead singer in the band Oingo Boingo, which sounds like a fucking stupid name <laughs> if you've never heard the band. But they're great. <laughs> they're so yeah, absolutely. good. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean, they did the theme song. Party. They did the theme song for Weird Science. You know, like it's just. Oh hell yeah! I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, Danny Elfman was the was in Oingo Boingo. Dude, Jacob, you got to look up this picture some other time on your own time. But if you look at Danny Elfman performing at the last festival they played at, he's yeah. like 75 years old. He's got his shirt off and the dude is fucking jacked. It's like so <laughs> weird to think Danny Elfman that worked with Tim Burton on all those movies is like some shred rock star. 
yeah, I don't really have time to question my sexuality right now, so <laughs> I'll do that later. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of um, weird, too, because you would never, you like, you go back and you listen to Oingo Boingo, and you would never know that that guy would go on to make, you know, he starts off with uh, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure and then gets great Batman score. and writes, still, to me, the quintessential Batman theme. Like, you yeah. hear that the theme, and it just... It sticks with you. And that's what Danny Elfman was so good at. Like the Simpsons, like everything he's ever written just sticks in your head. Yep. What do you think about people using existing songs as like a theme instead of composing it? Because like the new Batman's theme is fucking Nirvana. Like (laughs) that's kind of lame. Jason, what do you think? Uh... I I, got to take. I I like that version of uh of that song. Yeah, it's cool, but like but maybe what? it fit, you know? maybe it fit that version of Batman because he is like the emo, you know, I I'm depressed and I'm going to stay in my little underground uh at um it, it wasn't even really the Batcave, it was more like his basement. And he's going to stay down there and be depressed. It was a depressing movie. I'm not going to lie, but I liked it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't remember any like theme or anything from that movie, like music wise. Yeah. I the only thing the, people remember is the Nirvana. Theme song. I, I think the score is fantastic for that movie, but I've seen it a handful of times. It is super fucking depressing. It is also my favorite Batman movie. However, there will never be another superhero score that gets close to Danny Elfman's uh, Batman theme. That is just phenomenal shit. But um, I feel like you can look at it two different ways. It's kind of shorthand to create an emotional connection between the audience and, and the movie, right? Like mm-hmm. I grew up loving Nirvana. So I hear a Nirvana song. It's going to evoke some sort of emotion. Uh, you know, the performance of that song on Nirvana Unplugged in New York is just like one of the most amazing versions of that song that you'll hear. But um, on the flip side of that, you've got movies like American Psycho, where Huey Lewis and the news are baked into the narrative <laughs> of the story. True. So when the murder happens to is it hip to be square, like whatever song <laughs> that it is, when when he kills Jared Leto's character, like that's that's fun. So I think there's like. There's different ways you can go about it. But for me, like running down, running down the hill, running up, running, running up, up that hill. hill that's fucking fantastic, dude. That's like yeah. the song from Stranger Things now, even though Stranger Things has a amazing synthwave title uh, song, very akin to something that John Carpenter would have done. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, true. they definitely pulled. uh, uh they they pulled from old John Carpenter movies like Christine, things like yeah. that, and and yeah. the Stephen King movies of the eighties. Even though they weren't really all that good, they had a certain aesthetic to them. Especially like the the opening credits of those movies. Uh, you know, you go back and watch movies like Cujo and uh, Maximum Overdrive, which I am an unapologetic lover of. Maximum Overdrive, even though it's like one of the worst movies ever made. An ironic yeah. lover of Maximum Overdrive, or like legitimately, that's fucking I, art. No, he loves that. I love too. it. <laughs> it's one of those movies that I have, I think it might be the nostalgia talking yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. it was one of those forbidden fruit movies when I was a kid. And I remember my friend down the street had it. 
on VHS and I would go to his house and we would watch that movie when I was a kid. So I have like, I just have the soft spot in my heart for that. Even though I know it's awful. I got plenty of those. It just makes me feel good to watch it. (laughs) You know, yeah. You know, ACDC wrote a song for that movie. Well, they wrote a whole, their whole no. Who Made Who album is the soundtrack for that movie. Oh, they did a whole album for yeah, that? The, their album, Who Made Who, was written for that, was the soundtrack written oh, for that movie. I knew the song was. I didn't realize they did a whole album. Yeah, it's an entire ACDC album. And I love that album. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of their worst albums, like objectively, but it's okay. You can like it. <laughs> as, what is objective taste, anyways? As far as composers, like, who, what do you think about uh, people like Alan Silvestri, you know, with the Back to the Future theme and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Like, so many of those 80s. Um... I think he does a lot of Marvel stuff now, too, if I'm not mistaken. I think he did. I'm gonna fucking say something out of turn again. I think he did the Avengers theme. Pretty sure he did. Um, but yeah, I I like those guys. You know, like uh, as far as '80s uh, composers, there's a handful of them that that I'm really big fan of. If you name like Back to the Future, uh, Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. you know, all the way down the list of like who's um. Shit, I'm not gonna be able to think of his name right now, but there's a bunch of like those Hollywood blockbuster composers that are just amazing. But getting a little more into the like more niche side of things, we mentioned John Carpenter, we mentioned Vangelis, uh, Tangerine Dream. Tangerine, do you know Tangerine Dream? I know the name. Uh, what is Tangerine Dream? I'm not entirely sure what a tangerine is. (laughs) it's like an orange it's okay. like an orange Tangerine only dream. sexier sexy orange it's hell yeah dude. Sexy that, orange. that was the name of my uh my punk band in high school actually was sexy oh, orange uh i want to say that tangerine dream did the score for this is a, b- a bunch of movies nobody's seen thief with james Caan, legend okay. With Tom Cruise. Oh, that's where I know them from as legend. That is Synthwave. (laughs) And it's such a a great score. But Um, it doesn't fit the movie at all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, to that point, there is a uh, uh, director's cut of that movie that Ridley Scott does that has more like your... Yeah. Traditional Celtic kind of music in it. I've never seen that, though. I've never seen that director's cut of it. I watch it for that fucking soundtrack. So yeah, yeah, it doesn't fit, but it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good, but it does not fit. Have you ever seen the movie Legend, Jacob? Yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen it once, like a long time ago. It's such a strange movie. They did yeah. Firestarter. Uh, talk about early '80s Stephen mm-hmm. King movies, and then they also did one of my favorite vampire flicks, directed by uh, Catherine Bigelow, called Near Dark. Oh, with Lance Henriksen yes. and fucking Bill Paxton. It's a, it's a fantastic movie. So I like their style, but again, we're kind of in like the ambient side of things. Like Tangerine Dream doesn't quite have that like driving, uh, dirty scent sounds. It's more like ethereal, more spacey sounding. But then we start to get into the niche shit. And now that I know you like Maximum Overdrive, you might be able to appreciate <laughs> the work of Dario Argento. Oh, yeah. An Italian filmmaker responsible for such films as Suspiria, Tenebre, Deep Red. And he always collaborated with this act called Goblin. Goblin, yeah. Goblin is 
fucking awesome also. That was the thing. Uh, I had never seen Suspiria until a few years ago, but then when they did the um, the 1080p Blu-ray version, you know, they remastered it and everything. They put it out in the theater for like one night. Really? And I went to the, the Pritania in New Orleans to see it um, on the big screen, and I had never seen the movie before. And it was a complete, like, visual and auditory experience because of that that soundtrack by Goblin. And I made sure to, like, sit there through the credits to find out who did the soundtrack for that movie because it is so intense. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably a cool fucking experience, right? It was... It really got me back into... horror movies in a big way because that movie is such it I, I, and I'll probably say this and get hit in the face for it it's not a great movie but it's the way it, it it's a complete sensory experience especially to watch it on a movie screen like that because it's just so colorful in the images mixed with that weird fucking soundtrack by Goblin, like, when you leave there, you're just like, what the hell did I just watch? <laughs> like, you can't yeah. stop thinking about it for days. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a, uh, I discovered Dario Argento, obviously, at the same time as Goblin, and walked away from the majority of those movies being like, wow, the blood looks really pretty. It's like a yeah. bright fucking, <laughs> looks like red paint splattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a realistic looking no. looking blood, but I specifically remember like, man, that soundtrack is amazing. My favorite one is from Tenebre, and there's actually a uh, uh, and electric, uh, electronic industrial dance group called uh, Justice that came out 10 years ago now, and they do a really cool remix to Tenebre. Hmm. Another movie that we got to shout out while we're talking about this that probably was had a substantial hand in popularizing Synthwave is the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling in it. I still have never seen, seen that. Anyone? Movie. Okay. You got to check it out. It's fucking cool. It's it's good. It's uh I, Now that I know it's got a Synthwave soundtrack, I'm definitely going to watch it. It's good. Um one of my favorite this isn't synthwave, this is 80s horror related. Fright Night oh, has yeah. an amazing score. Dude, not Fright Night. <laughs> Come on, man. We just went through fucking Fright Night. What happened? Did you watch the remake? No, dude. The first one, the remake's better. Fright Let's Night's talk a about dog this. shit movie. It's fucking <laughs> dog shit, dude. I, I'm starting to see what you have Jacob here for. He's just like the bad take generator, right? Yeah. No. No, I call people out on their bad takes. Thank you very much. <laughs> He's a Gen Z Wait, hater is all why he do is. You, why do you not like this movie, dude? Talk, talk so, me through this. First of all, I watched it for the first time maybe a month ago on a Friends of Ours podcast. I watched it to um, sort of rip on it for, for their podcast. And looking through it with just no rose-colored glasses, it's one of the most plot hold filled movies of all time you just now out of your own mouth said i watched it to rip on it how the fuck is that going in objective look the point of the 
to to be fair, I I had done that podcast before. Uh huh. Yeah. Where I, I, where I see I was... you backpedaling, dude. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm not backpedaling. Listen, I did it. I did it before where we had to rip on from dusk till dawn, and I I couldn't because I love that. I love from dusk till dawn. I could I could barely rip on it. Okay. But but watching a movie that I have no connection to, where there's just so many plot holes littered throughout it, Hit so me with many one. bad effects. Hit, Hit me, me with, with one. one. Yeah. Okay. How about this? So when he has <sighs> the right. kid in his room, just by himself, right? He's totally vamping out. He's like, I'm a vampire and I'm going to fucking kill you. And then his mom yells, hey, is everything okay? And he leaves because he doesn't want to get caught by his bomb, right? And have to kill multiple people. Yeah. He locked his mom in the room. He has to go get his mom out of the room. She can't leave. Why is he leaving? Just kill the kid right there. Is that a plot hole or does that just have to fucking happen for the movie not to be 30 minutes long? Oh, oh, if, it, if that has to fucking happen, then it's a plot hole, dude. Come on. Dude, yeah, you're right. talking All about... Right. I see you. You're talking fair. about... Not, not to mention he kills two bouncers in a room full of 100 people and then nothing fucking happens. Dude, you're talking about an 80s horror movie and you're going to no, try understand. to like pick them apart and say they're try to try I try to find an 80s horror movie that doesn't have at least five plot holes in it. I dare you. No, movies I understand. Movies used to be written by one person, not an entire fucking writers yeah. room of people being no. able to like check and balance each other. So No, I know. I mean, this was all Tom Hollander, but you you look at the writing from Tom Hollander, you look at the inconsistencies, and you looked at the horrible and inconsistent effects of this movie. As bad well. effect. Hit me with a bad effect. Okay, so let's see. The um after this, I'm gonna ruin Star Wars for you, Jacob. I, Just go ahead. I'm not You're gonna, gonna ruin lie. Star Wars for me. I fucking love this. this the is biggest plot hole on the planet <laughs> is in is in a new hope. Yeah. All right, tell, tell me. Tell me about it. Okay, so they're, they're in the trench, right? They have to go into okay. this trench to shoot a proton torpedo down into the, the Death Star, right? He's so right about that. They're, how, they had, I think, in the lore of, of A New Hope, they had something like 85 uh, fighters going up against yep. the Death Star. They lost all but three. <laughs> they're all dead. Why could why did they have to go through the trench? Why couldn't they just fly like straight at the hole? They're in fucking space. Well, Jason, you see, there comes there's something <laughs> called foreplay, okay? <laughs> you can't just go straight for the hole, Jason. You gotta you gotta go through the trench a little bit, <laughs> maybe pull back a little bit before you get to the hole. And then oh, only then can you shoot your I mean, proton torpedo. It's a sphere. In space, okay. they could just fly right. straight, have one X-Wing fly straight at it, shoot down the hole, and be like, we're good. Isn't Rogue One your favorite uh, Star Wars movie? Pretty much, yeah. Except Blame for them for the bad intel. <laughs> Blame them. They're the ones who are like, yeah, you gotta go down the fucking trench. You gotta do it. I <laughs> They're got, the ones, dude. <laughs> I got two, and this is just, this isn't even a plot hole. It's just a minor grievance. I'm, now that we're airing grievances about Star Wars. Like, there are blasters. Why use lightsabers? I know it's a, a weapon for a more elegant time or whatever the fuck they say to, like, just uh, wash that away. But then 
if you can like literally pick up mountains with the force, why do you need a blaster or a lightsaber? Why do Jedi's ever fight when they can just like mind power each other? I mean, you don't have to answer. It's a hyperbolic. It's like there's no answer to yeah. these things. And I you got to scripts have to happen. No, that is a fair point. And I mean, uh, the only answer is that laser swords are cool. They're fucking badass. No question about <laughs> They're it. Cool. No question That's about it. it. They're cool. That's it. That's the only reason to have laser swords in your movie. <laughs> I feel bad, though, now because I was enjoying his ripping on uh, Fright Night. But I feel like once you start slaughtering the sacred cow, it goes from being, ha ha, yeah. we're all laughing, having a good time, to all of a sudden, R worded my childhood, dude. Why are you trying to R word my childhood? <laughs> we got to tell you guys about B Res Coffee Company. That's right. B Res Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by gamers. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel-flavored roast, or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate-flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. Look, is, is, it, is this kind of what you do on the Pop Culture Nihilist, is, is rip on things... Yeah. That other people like just because it's from their childhood, even though it's dog shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That that I, and that's uh, that's kind of the thing about modern day criticism versus back when you were young, you saw something mm. and you developed a, a love for it. In the case of Maximum Overdrive, that's obviously an extreme, like. Who likes Maximum Overdrive? But, Nobody. Uh, <laughs> Nobody likes that movie but me. <laughs> um, I, I actually, I actually don't hate Maximum Overdrive. To be fair, it's a fun watch, and it's also Stephen King's directorial debut. Hmm? Um, oh, it's what what got him blacklisted from? You know why that movie. movie's so bad? Because he did about twenty pounds of coke while <laughs> yeah. while doing that movie. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But like, we don't. People are so quick to assess current content from their cynical adult eyes mm -hmm. where Jacob, to your point, you don't have like a sentimental connection to these things. You're watching them for the first time. But when people are like the new star Wars movies suck, the classic star Wars movies are the best. It's like, I mean, are they, can you really right. be objective and say, I was a six year old when I saw the star Wars movie in the theater and it was perfect. And now Star Wars is made for kids. It's like, no, it was all you were just a kid. And I feel like the new Star Wars movies are good. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Disney Star Wars movies are all right, except for Solo and Rise of Skywalker. And I didn't really care for the book of Boba Fett. And I thought uh, <laughs> Obi-Wan was a little bit undercooked. <laughs> they're all good except they're all bad <laughs> well i'm one of the few people on the planet that actually like the last jedi because i'm I, with you man i like it you. when they dare to do something different that's why i like the new andor series because it, it's it, it's very it's a it was it's been a slow build and it shows me things in the star wars universe that you don't normally get to see you I know love it. it's cool and i like there's no 
there's only been like three stormtroopers in the whole thing. There's been no, there's hasn't been a lightsaber this entire time, and I love right. it. Yeah, there's probably not gonna be either. I mean, that's it's like a, I, I like when they take different genres and put it into like a franchise that needs like a shot of something, you know? I mean, they just took the spy espionage like genre and it's like all right let's put this in a star wars setting with a character that people already know i think they're starting to do that because they understand that's what made the marvel movies so good because marvel didn't make superhero movies they made genre movies that just so happened to have a superhero in it like you look at, at captain america winter soldier you know that's a 1970s uh you know spy thriller like those type of movies and if now they're doing that with Star Wars. Like Andor is a, uh, it's kind of like a spy thriller. And when you really look at it, and I'm I'm really hope that they kind of take this direction because I love the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian to me has been has been perfect so far. Yeah. Boba Fett it's an, was it's the best western of the last yeah. 30 years. It's a western. Boba Fett was okay. And, you know, it wasn't great, but it, I yeah, got no. Nah. I'm not going to go back and watch it again. Like, I'm just kind of like, all right, I watched it. It's you know, I'll watch it's the what scene where is. he's riding a fucking Rancor at the yeah. end. I will replay that <laughs> yeah. in a 20 hour loop. And other than that, I don't care anything about it. You know it. what? I want to see. Dope. I want to see, like, you know, like a squadron of TIE fighter pilots, like a, a show about like three or four TIE fighter pilots that just like hang out and like have, you know, they, they have drinks and they have like, you know, personal stuff going on with them and like you don't ever see a freaking lightsaber or darth vader or anything it's just kind of like you're just yeah. hanging out with these tie fighter pilots yeah. and you get to see it from the other side you know you don't have yeah, to they, see it they the wouldn't rebels. live long enough they wouldn't live long <laughs> enough to be able yeah, that's to do a that. fair point give me a three camera show in mos eisley light cheers yes yeah, with the band that plays audience. there yes everything like old <laughs> 80s tv show Theme song, all of that. That's what I would be into. <laughs> Hammerhead. Jabba! <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Hammerhead walks in. They're like, Hammerhead! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I would watch the hell out of that, actually. That's a good idea. Make it a comedy with, like, a canned laugh track to it. Yeah, yeah. So you were talking about liking uh, ballsy uh, movies and franchises. I think The Last Jedi is a like one of the go-to examples of like, hey, I just now went to the movie theater to see this follow-up to The Force Awakens. Luke Skywalker's going to be in it. I have these very specific uh, markers that this movie must hit for it to be a successful Star Wars movie, especially on the heels of The Force Awakens, which was great and also pretty derivative. So people kind of thought they knew where we were headed. The Last Jedi subverts all of that. There was a massive backlash to it. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here in the theater, similar to what it sounds like you were like, Jason, where I'm like, this is cool, man. Yeah. He, he doesn't care what we <laughs> want him to do. He's just doing the thing that he wants to do. And I, I love that. So I, I, wanted I hate to- that about the Star Wars uh, fandom, because The Force Awakens is basically beat for beat, A New Hope. And it was yeah. great. Like, and everybody loved it, but the, the entire fan base is like, well, we wanted something different, and no, they, don't. they gave it to you, and you hated it. <laughs> like, yeah. what do you yeah. want? <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, they gave it to us badly. 
I'm shutting you. I'm like you're, you're, you're removed from this call. Look, hey, answer me this: Why was Yoda both a puppet and CGI? If you can just answer me that, then I'll be fucking fine, dude. Why they? Why do you have to be both of them? Well, maybe they had to do reshoots, and he wasn't available. Yeah, yeah, he's right. That's, <laughs> That's right, dude. They, they have to get with his publicist. My bad, dude. I don't know. Uh, it was like the Christopher Plummer thing. He was going through some uh, some Me Too movement stuff. <laughs> Chris, they had to replace him with Christopher Plummer midway through. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why we never saw Yaddle after episode one because she got groped by Yoda and then she mm-hmm. like quit. Not a lot of people. That's talk why they had about to fire that. the puppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fire the puppet. Yeah. Uh, Halloween ends. Did you see it? Yes. We're talking about Carpenter. We're talking about subverting expectations. What did you think of the Michael Myers movie? I liked it, but it's not my favorite. It, it's just kind of, it's kind of just, it, to me, it just sat kind of mediocre. There wasn't really anything yeah. special about it. I haven't it? seen it, so okay. I, I will reserve judgment, but I don't think I'm going to see it because Halloween Kills was like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It was dog shit, but it's not the worst of the <laughs> Halloween movies. Right, Halloween 3 is. You shut your mouth. (laughs) That upsets me deeply. I drove to Memphis, Tennessee over the summer to go watch Joe Bob Briggs do the last drive-in live and screened it with Tommy Wallace, who is the filmmaker. Uh, I wanted to go to that so bad. It was was amazing. Uh, Halloween 3, you know, for whatever it isn't, I like the fact that it is its own thing. And that's what I feel like about Halloween ends is it's like, it's not the best Halloween movie. I really, you got 78, you got 2018. And then like, what else do you really got? Halloween two is pretty good. I like the ending of four with uh, Jamie. Um, But Halloween ends is that same thing where there's certain metrics that you have to hit certain uh, goalposts. And if you do A, B, and C, then you've made the 20th fucking Halloween movie or whatever. The filmmakers decided, like, we're not going to do that. We're going to kind of Halloween 3 this thing and, like, keep the themes intact, but do a totally different story. And uh, I don't think it succeeded perfectly, but I'm putting it in the top half of the Halloween movie, certainly not the bottom half. Yeah, I mean, that's not hard to do when there's been like 15 of them and 13 of them were really bad. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, you can only do so much with an antagonist that doesn't speak and is just a mindless killing machine. Like, what really can you do to stretch out a two-hour final act? Bring in Buster Rhymes to fist fight him. That's what you do, Jason. (laughs) You make him fist fight Buster Rhymes. True. That will definitely, um, it, it will leave a lasting impression. Let's say that. Don't know if it'll be a positive one, but yeah. people will remember. <laughs> people will reference that shit on podcasts 20 years from now. <laughs> yeah, no facts. facts. Are <laughs> you sure. a fan of, at all of the uh, the original Universal Monsters, those movies? Yeah. So do you think yeah. that it, it, I know they tried to do the big reboot, couple of years ago with the mummy and it failed miserably because they were going to try to do like the big universal monsters, almost like the Marvel cinematic universe. Do you think it's possible for them to even like do that these days? I would love to see it, but I don't know. It's like, why you got to franchise everything, dude, just make the movies. 
you know, Universal was the first Marvel. Yeah. In many ways, you know, there's a Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, Abbott yeah. Costello. Well, you could do Dracula, that these days. Da, you da, could da, da, have da. like Jay and Silent Bob meet the mummy. Like that would be awesome. <laughs> 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 that would be a movie. That would definitely be a movie. Um, I don't know, Jason. I don't know. I, I feel like on one hand, they're going to try to franchise it. Like what Jacob was just now saying, they're going to want to make hundred million dollar movies that all cross up. Well, they did want to do this and they tried it multiple times and they failed miserably. I think that we're past that. The invisible man that just now came out, I thought was really good. The one with Elizabeth Moss in it. It's a yeah. Blumhouse movie. It probably cost 40, $50 million to make it. Uh, it did really well at the box office, but how do you introduce that character to something supernatural? you don't you know so i kind of like the the premise that jacob just said of like just make a good movie and then make yeah. another good movie and then later on if the audience is like we really want to see those things together then you go back and try to reconfigure it and retcon some shit so that it works out together like uh, godzilla versus kong or something like that was that was willed yeah. into existence by the audiences back in 62 or whenever the original 72 whenever the original one came out but um I, I feel like if the audience wills it then they will find a way like jason and freddie right we, that movie was supposed to come out for 20 years they finally got around to doing it and you know there was really a, J a freddie versus jason versus ash movie that yeah. had been in development for years and never got made that that could work that would have been great. Like I would, I would, I mean, even though, you know, Bruce Campbell's an old man now, I would still love to see him yeah. take on Freddie and Jason as Ash. And you I mean, he would something? get his ass clapped for sure by either <laughs> of them, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Old men. As I look back at so many of my, my heroes. <laughs> Yeah, I start to realize <laughs> we're all getting old, man. It I'm sucks. an old man. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, dude. William Shatner's in his 90s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty weird, huh? Dead. 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 Hundred. Yeah. Tony Todd. Uh, no, yeah. He, uh, but yeah, it's it's wild. I like Robert England. He could never come back. As Freddie. Well, he probably wouldn't need makeup now. He just shows up first day and they're like, we need to put makeup on you to look better. Like, Robert England has left the chat. He's like, single tear runs down his face. Fuck them. Yeah. I don't know. I, because after Monsters Anonymous, I actually started to write a script about. The, the monsters from Monsters Anonymous teaming together in an Avenger-style big-ass movie where they have to team up to stop the devil from uh, bringing about Armageddon. I'm like, I think it could work if you were to actually do that with the Universal Monsters, but give it that bit of uh, humor, too. I think that's what yeah. people really want, because you're not going to be able to make horror movies out of that. Yeah. Of, of those characters but you add point. a you you make them a little bit dark but funny i, I think that would be the way you would want to do that it would work 
for sure in the tone of Monsters Anonymous. That would be like a like an ideal scenario yeah. <laughs> to play that thing out. Uh, I I know there's a movie called Renfield coming out, which is uh you know slight spin on the Dracula mythos. I think that's a Blumhouse produced movie. I know they've like got a couple of different irons in the fire right now, but if you're going the serious grounded route, you can't do a big crossover event because what I've always believed and Marvel has been able to pull this off despite itself. Maybe it's the medium of comic books, but like pretty much any scenario, there's one fantastical element like most screenplays it's like it's our world or it's a near future and it's our world but there's a vampire it's the near future but there are androids it's the current times uh but there's a werewolf you know what i'm saying like yeah the setting is usually rooted in like whatever reality the world is in and then they ask you to suspend your disbelief for one thing the idea that one person gets bit by a wolf and becomes a werewolf works in the context of that movie but then how did this guy over here become a vampire and then this mummy shit's going on over here like how do you tie all of those things together with a device that's like uh tangible you know what i mean (laughs) well i tied to i'm had a whole separate um little adventure that was going to happen with the mummy and the wolfman because the mummy was was the priest who cured um anubis of lycanthropy back in the egyptian days and his tablet that he wrote his formula on he had had been lost to time and all of a sudden it pops up at a um uh like a museum showing and he and because the wolfman wants to be you know they're kind of friends or whatever he wants to be cured of his lycanthropy, so they have to team up and break into the museum to to steal this, uh, you know, the stone tablet that has like all this recipe for the cure for lycanthropy. And Anubis was also a lycanthrope. Yeah, and that's why he was always portrayed as a do- as like a wolf or a dog or whatever. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. So that that was my idea. Hopefully nobody steals it and does something with it, but I've got all that copyrighted. So. <laughs> That's cool. Would you mind saying it again in fine detail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to write But it hey, nobody's going to give me the uh $50 million to make that movie, so it, it's okay. It's a cool it's a cool way of of making that work, you know, like with Anne Rice, she ties everything back to Egypt, actually, and then before that, I think aliens, if I'm not mistaken. But the idea, oh, like, yeah. there's a central point that everything kind of goes off of. And if you work it that direction and then everything spreads out, I think that there is a I, there, there is a possible way of doing it right. I mean, I don't know that you will ever be able to talk Monsters Anonymous and Monster Squad, <laughs> but we'll see. Matter of fact, I feel I like just... aliens are a cop out for horror movies. Why? Yeah, I'm kind of with you. There's because, a, dude, it, there's a few alien movies that I like. Like not alien. alien, not alien. Well, Aliens is something different. Alien, that whole franchise. But I'm, I'm talking, talking about, about like, like you have something seemingly supernatural, and at the end, it's like a UFO, and you're yeah. like, oh, well, fuck me then. It's very 1950s. Have like seen, zombies were aliens and all that shit. Have you seen Nope yet? Nope. Yep. 
You haven't, Jacob? Nope. All right. Well, that's a I whole, know that's aliens. That's a whole new take on the uh, UFO genre. I, I mean, Jordan like Peele it. is like a. I'm not talking about Jordan Peele, dude. He he cannot do wrong <laughs> to me. Like he's, you know, I'm not talking about him. But I like like Stephen King even like the fucking Pennywise the clowns and Alien. It's like I don't want that. I want a creepy alien who rapes kids in the sewer. Like don't cop it out by making him an alien. Clip that. Clip that. <laughs> he's, Clip not, that. he's not. Ne- he's not necessarily an alien. He's an interdimensional <laughs> being. Oh, he's an interdimensional being. Well, excuse me. I didn't realize that wasn't an alien. I'm kind of being won over uh, on this on this que- on this conversation here because H.P. Lovecraft. A lot of his shit was like interdimensional, yeah, maybe extraterrestrial, but like, doesn't that, Jacob? I fucking feel you, dude. But I gotta, <laughs> I gotta switch camps here. I gotta okay. switch camps here. It's okay because I am starting to realize like there's so much out there that we don't understand. Uh, it, like in Thor, they're like it's science and magic are the same thing, kind of mm. thing. It's like, yeah. what if every monster? is just some form of life from another dimension, another reality. You're you're 100% correct. It very could be. But me as a viewer, I don't need to be shown that as a twist at the end of the movie. (laughs) I would rather be like, all right, it's a werewolf or whatever. You saw signs and you were just like, and M. Night Shyamalan just ruined you for aliens from that point on, right? M. Night Shyamalan has ruined a lot of things for me, Jason. <laughs> As he has with a lot of other people. Well, let's talk about modern horror. And Jeremy, I I, I had um, suggested to you that you watch a movie that just dropped on Shudder a couple yeah, of weeks ago called Deadstream. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually <laughs> I did, did do I that. Did <laughs> do that. <laughs> I, did, I did do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, man, it was great. It was great. It, it, I, that's one of, one of the things I love about Shudder is like, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. You put on a movie on Shudder, you might get, you might get Deadstream or you might get some other movie that's Prom not, Night 4. not as good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And they vary in quality, but Deadstream yeah. was like a, was a nice little surprise. Uh, I think you, I think. You sold it to me uh, as having some very Evil Dead 2 vibes. Mm-hmm. I think that's 100% right on. I almost feel like the elevator pitch was like, what if the Blair Witch Project, but Evil Dead 2? Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like, like the people that made that movie were such huge fans of Sam Raimi. And exactly like you said, they were fans of Sam Raimi and the Blair Witch Project. And they said, how do we make a modern movie Mixing those two things together, and they and yeah. Deadstream is exactly what that is. It's super uh, low budget. You can tell with some of the makeup, but again, that really does harken back to yeah. the you know yeah. the spirit it, of what Sam Raimi was doing. I think it's meant to be that movies. way. Yes, yeah, and um, they've actually the two filmmakers responsible for Deadstream have a uh, segment. It's the final segment on VHS 99. Really? Which I'm going to be watching in the next couple of days. Me too. Uh, and it's supposedly the standout of, of the, the anthology, which, you know, VHS has been, eh, it's been spotty to say the least, but yeah. there's, there's <laughs> always one or two that are worth checking it out. 
See, I like Deadstream so much because just the way they that they did the movie, it just makes you feel like you're actually watching like somebody in a haunted house on a Twitch channel. Yeah, yeah. Side note: Shouldn't the sequel to VHS be called DVD? <laughs> Just me. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit on that. Just let that wash over us. That all. is that. That's the worst joke you've ever had <laughs> on this show. I have to. Jason, <laughs> here's the thing. No, it's not. <laughs> I've had way worse jokes, Bubba. Um, you mentioned uh, oh, fuck, what was it uh, earlier? You were talking about the night begins to shine on yeah. uh, Teen Titans. There's a internet movie that came out a couple years back called Kung Fury. Kung Fury. It's uh it's about a 45 minute short film. You can watch it on YouTube and it's all synthwave, but it's about like a detective and his partner gets killed, so his new partners are like a triceratops person <laughs> and they have to go back in time and fight Adolf Hitler with like a oh, war eagle. Dude. You have so, to watch it, Jacob. It is so. In it, and shit. it is so ridiculous I'm, and over the top. I'm so into this, and also Kong Fury sounds like something that Donald Trump would call COVID nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got him yeah. back. Got him back. All right. No, I'm into that. I'm into stuff that's so ridiculous where like i don't have to think about why it sucks because there's just there's just so much ridiculousness happening like um i don't know if you've ever seen the show axe cop uh so this was it i read the comics really... i never saw the show yeah so is uh there's the creator of axe cop created axe cop because like his five-year-old daughter or son or whatever no, it was his like... five-year-old nephew uh started writing yeah. uh, a comic called axe cop and his uncle was a uh, comic book artist, so he started making actual comic books with uh, the writings of this uh, his little five year old nephew yeah. of Axe Cop. Yeah, and they wild. put like they they produce like shorts kind of of Axe Cop on um on Fox and put it in prime time at like eight or nine o'clock. And yeah, dude, Axe Cop is it's literally just a cop with an axe, and it's so fucking ridiculous that it's <laughs> hilarious. And very like you could put some synthwave over Axe Cop. It's in it that's in the same uh, ballpark as Kung Fury. So you it need to go watch like that, uh, Jacob. I think you'll really like it because it is so yeah. weird and over the top. I need to watch that, and I need to find out where Axe Cop is streaming. I don't think they show it anymore. Um, there's in those veins. There's Hobo with a Shotgun. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> got. That. Dolph Lundgren. No, 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 no. no. Um, uh, Blind Fury. This is his name. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Blade Runner. Blade yeah. Runner. Uh, uh, Alfred Molina. No. Correct. Uh, <laughs> Rudger Hauer. Yeah, Rudger Hauer. Uh, he's in oh, Hobo in with Beach. a Shotgun. It's got a really good synthwave soundtrack. And then um, Daniel Ratcliffe from uh, Harry Potter himself is in a movie called Guns Akimbo where they yeah. strap. Have you seen that? I have not seen it. I haven't seen it, but I I need to. It's amazing. And it's got a synthwave score as well. So there's a couple of them you can check out uh, if you are kind of interested in that genre. And while we're on the topic of newer um, movies that are out, but there is 
in addition to uh, Deadstream, there was a movie that came out recently called uh, Who Invited Them? Jason. I've heard of that. It's about a young kind of hipstery couple that move into a house that's probably way out of their price range because of a, a history that the house may have. And they're having a, oh. a get together one night and they find that um, two of the guests, very attractive, charismatic couple, then they can't figure out who invited them to the party, what their connection is. After everybody else leaves and goes home, this couple sticks around and it's like a like an escalation of weird psychological games that they're playing with them. And it's a, it's a mm. horror comedy, but I, I think I think you should check that one out. It's pretty good. Okay. It sounds yeah, good. I, I haven't heard of that, but I've heard that a lot when I show up to a party. <laughs> I ask myself that every week on this podcast. Like, who invited you? Hey, it was only my idea, bud. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anyways. Jeremy, we're coming up on an hour. Is there anything else we wanted to talk about before we, we leave here this evening? Um, yeah. Yeah, Mandy. Uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. These are two Panos Cosmopolis. Cos- Cosmopolis, that's not right. Pan- <laughs> Panos Cosmatos movies. Did you see Mandy? Is that's with um what's his name? Uh uh Nicholas Cage, Molina. right? Alfred Molino, correct. No, it's uh Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that, but I've heard g- great things about it. So awesome. And then the same director uh did Beyond the Black Rainbow, and both of these movies are like like a fever dream of a 1980s movie that you found on VHS and you watched it one night when you had a super fucking high fever and then you forgot about it for 20 years and then it like kind of comes into your brain one time and you're like, what was that? And you can't find it. It's those two movies. Highly recommend checking them out. Um, Her pig is really good too with Nicolas Cage. I haven't seen that one yet either. I've heard both that it's the best movie ever and like the m- biggest waste of time. So <laughs> amazing. I definitely need to watch it. Well, that's why I love Nicolas Cage so much because like it doesn't matter what kind of movie he's in. That dude swings for the fences every cool. single time. Real quick, have have either of you guys seen Willy's Wonderland? I was just about to say that. I love that movie. I do fun. too. I was so off put by him not speaking a single goddamn word. He doesn't say and a he word. like loves soda. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Dude, he has a timer on his watch that goes off where he has to go drink a soda and play ping pong. And it seems like this like sexual, like satanic ritual he has to do to be a badass. Dude, there is yeah, so man. much ba- like uh like online people like online backstory about him, like that people talk about like uh, like he's some you know like we want a, a sequel to like go into his backstory of like who he is or whatever. And like people are saying things like he's an angel or he's like a fallen angel or he's like, you know, like ex military, but he can see you know, like he has, he's like a medium where he can see like weird I shit happening. I choose to believe that he was a guy who was at the wrong place at the wrong time and loved soda and fucking, <laughs> Uh, uh, pinball, pinball. <laughs> and just happened to be able to kill animatronic Chuck E. Cheese's. 
those animatronic Chuck E. Cheeses were the ones at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Hell yeah. <laughs> how did uh, they how did they not get sued by Five Nights at Freddy's? Because it's basically true. Five Nights at Freddy's the movie. Yeah. Rock a fire explosion would have something to say about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Showbiz. Jacob doesn't know what rock of fire explosion is. <laughs> no. He how, never, how would he? <laughs> he never got to experience showbiz pizza, man. Dude, it was the greatest show on earth back in the 80s it when was. we were kids. Dude, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Dude, bro. go on YouTube and just look up Rock of Fire Explosion and that'll tell you everything. Is it a TV show? Is it a place? What are no, you talking about? It's, it's anim- it? animatronic animals that like sing and dance and, and there's like a big gorilla that plays piano. He and um, Okay. It, it was like Chuck E. Cheese, but uh yeah. it was until until he got me to uh actually made some inappropriate advances yeah. at the <laughs> mouse that uh played the tambourine in the van. Yeah, oh, nice. bad story, really. It eventually got bought out by a Chuck E. Cheese back in the 80s. And uh, there's actually okay. um, a guy in Mississippi, um, and me and my buddy Mike are going up there pretty soon. Um, but he actually has a working, like, little, he built this, this basically a showbiz pizza that he runs, and they ha- he has a working rock of fire explosion in this place. What? Yeah. How did, you, did you just reach out to him? Well, no, he, 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 it's, it's been a known thing. There was a documentary about it not too long ago. The Rock of Fire? Exp- yeah, he's Explos- got a complete working Rock of Fire explosion. And you can, it's not like a private thing. Like you No, can go you, can, there. you can book time to go there and like eat pizza and watch Let's Rock go, of Fire dude. explosion. It's freaking awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, man, that's amazing. He um, just, let me look it up. He just tagged me in something with it today. Um, your friend or the guy no, my my friend uh mike right. uh mike dixon who has been on the show uh mike with, Dix. he uh let's see by appointment only <laughs> it's called uh smitty super service he said it says they just put up a post today uh that says thanks for stopping smitty's is open by appointment only please mm. contact billy bob at smittysuperservice.com Everything about that is just is hitting for me. Billy Bob at Schmitty's. Yeah, go yeah. to um, go find it's at it's called Smitty's Super Service on Facebook. And yeah, let me tell you, dude, if you get kidnapped by the animatronics in that place, call me <laughs> up, dude. I'll come get you, bro. I'll He's, get you uh, out. It's it's actually listed as a museum, <laughs> and uh, you can book time to go there. And he, he's got pictures of rock of fire explosion, and I think you could, he he has pizza that you can order there and eat and it's awesome i want to go yeah i don't know i don't i don't want to schedule my own time to get murdered (laughs) (laughs) it's just better not knowing when (laughs) death happens yeah it's in sandy hook mississippi I have no Sandy idea. Sandy Hook, Mississippi, yeah, dude, soon, no, dude, you got it wrong, Jason. <laughs> no, dude. Oh, boy. That doesn't oh. bode well. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Jeremy, is there anything else that you want to discuss before we uh, we leave the people tonight? No, I think I pressed it. I think I pressed it. I got a good five more minutes out of y'all, and it was a pleasure being on the show. Really glad to do it. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to reconnect and do this again sometime. Absolutely. Check out the Pop Culture Nihilist on YouTube. This is where I do my 30-minute plug session. Check out the Pop Culture Nihilist on YouTube. Check out Lucid Memory on YouTube. Actually, 
If you're enjoying the conversation that we're having tonight, check out Lucid Memory. It really is uh, dedicated to the feeling that you get thinking back to the 1980s. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the truth. I went to the skating ring a couple weeks ago because <laughs> I used to love the skating ring when I was a kid. It turns out there's nothing there. Like the skating ring, it has no like magical. It's it's the memories of the skating ring. That's the yeah. thing that's powerful. And that's what lucid memory is really about. It's more about capturing the memories of the feelings. Cause I know people are like, dude, you know there's barcades, right? It's like, yeah, and I've been to barcades and they're great, but it's not the same as the feeling I get of thinking back to the arcade. So if you like nostalgia retro music synthwave outrun all that kind of stuff check out losing memory on youtube and uh actually your channel is live right now i'm looking at it it is it is do you keep it going 24 hours a day it's a 24 7 stream uh my friend tyler adams who i gotta give some love to is the person that helped me build the arcade itself um it was a really intense project i've never done any like 3d modeling before so we built a retro arcade, and then my friend Colby Sullivan of Fan Out Crew is the person that hosts it and runs the 24-7 stream over at his place. So it's a, it's a collaborative effort, but mostly it's all me. That's awesome. So, like, thanks, I guess, to those other guys. Yeah, that's how I would describe this podcast, too. <laughs> and you were just talking about the skating rink. Dude, our skating rink here on the coast, uh, Gold, Golden Gate, dude, it literally has not changed since the 70s. You walk really? in there, it looks like the 70s. Like, it's still got the same carpet. Um, there's still the same video games in there. And uh, I want to go. Still the same racist owner. It's crazy, <laughs> dude. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking crazy, bro. But, uh, but, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been an absolute pleasure having you tonight. And, yeah, um, most definitely. Back at you, man. Jacob, anything you got to plug before we get out of here? Ah, uh, dude, you gotta get in our Patreon right now, bro. Patreon.com backslash OM podcast. If you want the commentary tracks, if you want the bonus episodes, if you want to see me do stupid shit that has long lasting effects on my body every <laughs> single month, then you gotta get in that Patreon. And guess what? You get every episode early. Like yeah. you guys on Patreon are listening to this a whole two days before everyone else in nice. the entire world gets to listen to this dude i don't know why you wouldn't do it and also coming up in november we got some more famous comics for you guys so if you're a comedy fan stay tuned oh and uh before we leave our former guest ariel elias who uh was on the show a couple of weeks ago just made her debut big time debut on jimmy kimmel and you can go watch her set right now uh on youtube go to jimmy the jimmy kimmel live youtube channel and you will see her stand up set and uh we will have her back on the show sometime soon to talk about this whole ordeal that she went through but yeah uh, dude i'm so happy for her also our former guest neil rubenstein just booked uh adjacent music festival in atlantic city new jersey with uh blink 182 and paramore as the headliners he's going to be on that music festival see we're the hit makers man so jeremy you're about you're about to blow up son let's go (laughs) we launch careers yeah and if you want to email us you can email us at openmikers podcast at gmail.com at openmikers on twitter and instagram and uh it's patreon.com slash om podcast for as little as a dollar a month you can watch Jacob get his belly button pierced 
for the rest of your life. And it's awesome because it's still infected. (laughs) And we will see you guys next week. Hey, Rocky, I shit my pants. Rocky!